I, I try not to listen to the service because I want to hear it fresh. My wife cheated last night and listened to the service, but I didn't. But mom said, well, that's really good. It was a, it was a, it was a good message. She said, it was on giving. She said, she said I, I was so glad to hear that. She said, you learned that from your father, didn't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I did. I was reminded of how our, my father my, taught my brother and I what it was like to give. And I, so I was reminded, I sh Sally and I shared a blessing this week, and I, I very rarely, if ever, say anything about this, but I, I just have to share this with you. I, I, I was struggling about a certain gift. I won't go into detail about it, but I would say, well, if I give this, then I don't have to give this. Have you ever had that argument with God? Well, I'm giving this this week, and if I give this this week, that sort of negates me having to give this this week. Um, that's really not the way it works, and I know that, and you know that, but you know what? We really can justify what we want to do very easily, can't we? Anyway, make a long story short, I said, I, I sort of said, okay, well, you know, we've, we really sort of need the money this, this month for this, and we sort of need the money for this, and I'm sort of stammering around and saying I'd really like to keep this money. And the Lord sort of said to me, go ahead, dummy. Keep the money and see how, see how that helps you. I said, okay, all right, I get it. And I could hear my father in the background saying, it, it's never wrong to give. Never. Go ahead and give. If the Spirit of God prompts you, give. So I said, okay, okay, okay. I said, I've got the Lord pounding on me. I've got the memory of my father in my, in my mind. So we went ahead and, and, we, uh, and we gave to this one effort, and then we gave as we usually did. And not two weeks later, more than five times that amount came to us from totally unexpected places. So unexpected that if I were to tell, tell, one, tell you where one of the sources was, you would say, no, you're lying. I'll okay, I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> one of those sources was, we, you know, we, we moved to a new home back in April, almost, uh, almost a year ago, and all of a sudden, a mortgage company, which, you know, is right above the IRS and satanic origin. The mortgage company sent me a letter, and I saw it on the front. I said, oh, they've already recalculated. In 11 months, they've recalculated my escrow, and my payment's going to go up a gazillion dollars a month. And I said, I said I'm not even going to open it. I said, no, I have to. So I opened it up. I looked at it. And it says, we miscalculated your escrow. And I said, I knew it. <laughs> and I read on it says, and we owe you $600. Here's a check. Now, if that's not a miracle of God, there's not a miracle left. So I love that this morning. I tell you what I loved also. I love the line from the song. I love the music this morning. I, I, I laugh because a lot of us, uh, a lot of people say it's too loud, and I know for some of us it's too loud. That's the blessing of wearing hearing aids. I just click it off. <laughs> just, so it's never too loud for me. But I understand that 
he, this, this, this line, he chased me down when I was lost. And that's all I needed for the service today is because God chased me. He chased me down when I was lost. I have a lot to be thankful for today. I'm glad to see you. It's good to have visitors with us today. And let me tell you about this. Did, did I give you the book, Terry? You have my book that I had up here? Okay. Oh, no, 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 you didn't. Yeah, I've got it right here. I, I said, did, Terry, did I give you this book I'm holding in my hand? Obviously not. I have, a, I have a book for, I know, I know, I'm losing it. I feel a lot better, though, than I did last week. You know I mean? I, I, I've got this book for, for everybody, one per family unit, okay? Some of you have read Mark Batterson's book on um, Be a Circle Maker, The Circle Maker. I did this to prompt you. This is our year that we're focusing in our class on prayer. We've already done a number of things to help us learn more about prayer, our prayer life. We're asking God to help us grow in our prayer life. Teach us to pray. We started out with scripture writing plan on prayer. We just finished. This is just, this is a quick synopsis of his book, much <coughs> larger book on the circle maker. I read this, his book, the bigger book, I read it about six years ago and it completely, the, the principles that I read completely transformed my prayer life. And I'll leave you with that. Our next growth, we have, we have four growth groups. This is going to be our next study in the growth groups on the circle maker. So if you didn't get a book, see Terry. And it's good to see those of you back. Some of you were sick last week. I know I got reports. Some of our folks are sick this morning. I know as well. Some of you are here not feeling well. I know Dan is just is trying to recover back there with his voice and is having a tough time. So let's pray for, you know, when you get a, 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 you know, 900 radiation treatments, that can affect you, I think, sometimes, right? So I've been looking forward this week, all week, to this lesson, and you'll see why in just a moment. Um, I think this, this, the end of the lesson today will be especially meaningful to some of you. I think it'll be meaningful to all of us, but I think it'll be meaningful. So I, I was thinking about this to, uh, I think Don and Terry, this will be meaningful to you today as Stephen gets a glimpse into heaven as uh, your sister-in-law went to be with Jesus this week. I think it'll be meaningful to you as you think about heaven today. I want to ask us to spend just a moment as we do on Sunday to ask the Lord to quiet our hearts and to speak to us today for the reason we're here. And uh, so, Father, we come right now and we do ask that we could sit just for a moment in your presence, seeking your blessing today, seeking your opening the scripture to us today. We feel that we need to uh, take our shoes off because we tread on such holy ground today. So I pray that you would give us exactly what we need from your word today. Not the messenger, but the message from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm, I'm going to ask you to watch this short video clip. We're going to be talking about the first martyr.
Stephen. But I want to bring our attention quickly to the fact that this occurs today. So, John, if you would. The, the modern day persecution that we were started, uh, that we saw today, was started originally by what we're going to read in Acts chapter 7. We're going to begin, though, in Acts chapter 6. And Jesus told his disciples, if you'll remember, we started to study the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. So he said, this, you know, we've seen Jerusalem in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and, and uh, 6. And then chapter 7, of course, is going to be the story of the martyrdom of, uh, of Stephen. And then chapter 8, then it goes to the second phase of this ministry of the young church as it moves, as persecution moves them to Judea and Samaria. Yes, sir. Isn't it safe to say that most, if not all, communist countries are against Christians? Well, I, yeah, I think, I think. In it itself, the, the government would say that religion is, from one of their leaders, is the opiate of the masses and is not, uh, sometimes it's found as a state religion, but I think you see for the most part, perhaps maybe not at this level, but what we saw pictured on the screen today. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that is probably a fair statement, Robert. In this chapter, we studied, you know, you cannot, I, I don't think you can divorce the end of chapter 6 from all of chapter 7. And chapter 7 is quite a long chapter. If you, if you did as I asked you to do when I sent you an email out and read the chapter 7, you sort of read through it and say, my goodness, this is a long, long, long passage of scripture. How, and then you started thinking, he's going to teach that whole thing today. I may not get out until next Thursday. So we're going to do something a little different as we go through to try to grasp the key things that happen and close with 
Stephen going to heaven. But if you look in chapter 6, verse 8, he's, he's, he's taken in verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. You remember last week Stephen was chosen as one of the seven, first deacons, one of the seven deacons. And, of course, he did a little bit more than sometimes we recognize that deacons normally do. He's out spreading the gospel. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. It said in verse 5 that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and now he's full of grace and power. In verse 9, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. These are the former slaves across the empire came and, and formed their own synagogue, which, you know, you, sometimes you think of the synagogues in Jerusalem at this time, There's, you know, that there were two or three synagogues. So the Talmud said, actually, and it's probably a high estimate, but it said that there were about 480 synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. A, a synagogue had to have more than 10 people, but they would have these people there to come and meet and worship <laughs> and interpret the scripture and, and read the scripture. But these synagogue of the freemen, it said, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, so they're from all over, began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit uh, gave him as he spoke. And in verse 11, it says that they secret, secretly persuaded, and you can write in the corner of your Bible, the, the real literal interpretation of that word um, secretly persuade those words secretly persuaded is coercion by means of money or favors so they paid a few guys off to lie about Stephen that's the real translation of what happened so they give these guys the money and they said we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God so that's the that's the charge that gets them taken in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember the Sanhedrin, you're going to be the Sanhedrin in just a moment. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's 70, the ruling council, the ruling council of the Jews at that time, 70 of them. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place, the temple, and the law. Law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will, dis Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. But all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know if that was an actual transformation or if it was just the contentment and peace that God had given before he gives his sermon. But anyway, they come and they say, well, here are the here are these charges. The charges against them, number one, blasphemy against Moses and God. Number two, speaking against the temple and the law. Really important now. The temple and the law. Remember now that the power base for the Sanhedrin is the temple. Everything happens at the temple. That's where they make their money at the temple. Remember Jesus driving out the money changers? The Sanhedrin were all in favor of charging all this money for people to buy their sacrifices so then they could come in and do what God had told them to do. And so all of this, that led to their power. 
And so they said, he's speaking against the law, temple and the law. And he said, he's, Stephen is saying Jesus will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses. So there's the charges. Then you go to chapter 7, and, and here, here's how you can divide up chapter 7. It's pretty easy to divide up. The first verse is a high priest asking him how do you respond to the charges, but then Stephen goes from there, from verse 2 all the way to verse 53, giving his response. He talks about Abraham, talks about Joseph, talks about Moses, Exodus, the Exodus, talks about David and Solomon, and then he brings the indictment against them. So you've got, he's giving a whole history. You could, you could follow the whole history of the Old Testament in this one sermon. And in this one sermon, he shows, he's going to show, that he, he, he doesn't respond to the charges at all. He said, the high priest, is this true? He didn't go, yeah, yeah, it's true, this is what I believe. He didn't do that. He, he just, he said, let me take you back to the history of Israel. And he's going to show Jesus all the way through. Unbelievable sermon. Then you have the stoning of Stephen in the last half of the chapter in verse 54 down to the end of the, end of the chapter. So in order for for us to understand it, here, let me just give you just a real brief overview of, of what the sermon says. He said, let me give you a history of uh, Israel's history to show that, that God blessed their fathers even though they didn't live in Palestine, many of them. The second thing in the message, he said that during much of her history, Israel did not worship God in the temple. And that uh, lastly, that even the possession of the temple did not save Israel from being rebellious and disobedient against God. So already the Sanhedrin are you know, wondering what's going on. Here's his key points. Number one, God's plan all points to Jesus, not the temple. Number two, you, the Sanhedrin, are no different than your ancestors in their rebellion and killing the prophets who predicted the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Number three, you've received the law of God, but you have rejected it because you rejected the just one, Jesus. This is what I'd like you to do. Pretend that you're the Sanhedrin. You are the 70 rulers uh, of the Jews at the time in the first century. And you have someone brought in front of you. I'm going to have three people stand and read the charges. I'm going to be Stephen. Not a good comparison, but that's the best I can do this morning. And then I'm going to have someone be the high priest who will say, uh, will ask me the question that's asked here. And then I'm going to give you my synopsis uh, of what Stephen says. All right? So the, from the synagogue, let's start with the charges that are being made, and you as a Sanhedrin listen to the charges. So the first charge. This man speaks blasphemy against Moses and against God. Second charge. This man speaks against the temple and the law. Third charge. This man says that yeah. Jesus is going to destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses. 
Then the high priest turns to Stephen. Stephen, are these accusations true? <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. And he said, I want you to move and move into a country that I will show you. And Abraham picked up and moved to Haran. He left the country of the Chaldees. And when he got there, God said, uh, I'm going to give an inheritance to you. He didn't give it to him immediately. But he said, I'm going to give you an inheritance and to your son. God let him know that his descendants would move to a foreign country where they would be slaves for 400 years. But God said, I will step in and punish those slaveholders and bring my people out of captivity so they can worship me in this place. Then God made a covenant with Abraham with a sign of circumcision. Isaac was born and he was circumcised. Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob who became the father of the twelve patriarchs. But the sons of Jacob, our fathers, were jealous of Joseph. And so they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And after they sold him into slavery, God did not desert him, but began to bless him. And before too long, God had put into Pharaoh's heart to let Joseph be um, the ruler of all the country. There was a great famine that came across the land that impacted our ancestors. Jacob heard that there was food in Egypt, so he sent his sons to find out. They came back, said, yes, there's food. They went a second time. And they said, we found some food. Joseph then identified himself to his brother, and he said, go, look, go get your family and bring them to Egypt, and I will take care of my family. And so they got 75 members of the family and brought them to Egypt. Of course, then Jacob died, and his fathers died after him. When the 400 years were just about up that God had talked about, it was time for their deliverance. The number of God's people became very large. There was a new king in Egypt who did not know, who did not know, did not know Joseph. And he treated the people terribly and forced them to even abandon their newborn infants. Then Moses was born, a beautiful baby, and was raised for about three months, then put outside where Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him in the palace. And when Moses was 40 years old, he saw that uh, he wanted to go out and see how his Hebrew kin were. And when he went out, he saw an Egyptian fighting with one of the Hebrews. And so he took, uh, to break up the fight, he took the uh, Egyptian and he slew him and killed him. The next day, 
Moses goes back out and says, you know, I think they're, they're going to uh, appreciate the fact that, that I, I can help them and I can deliver them. And he saw two Hebrews fighting together, arguing with one another. And Moses came up and he said, don't, you know, don't fight among each other. And, and the, one of the Hebrews said, who made you a ruler over us? And Moses knew. He said, what are you going to do, kill me like you did the Egyptian? And Moses said, they know. I'll have to escape. And he escaped to Midian and northwest Arabia. And he stayed there for 40 years. And he, had, he was married, had two sons. Forty years later, though, this, an angel appeared to him in the burning bush. And the, the angel with the voice of God said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, kneel and pray. You are in a holy place, on holy ground. I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt. I'm sending you back to Egypt, Moses. The same Moses had already been rejected by his people, but God sent him back as a ruler and a redeemer. He did wonderful things, signs and wonders at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the whole congregation, Sanhedrin, in quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, God will raise up a prophet just like me from your descendants. He received God's living word on Mount Sinai, but the ancestors, our ancestors, refused to obey him. They rejected him. They longed for Egypt and the idols. And so what happened? They said to Aaron, make us a calf idol. And they worshiped that calf idol. And they, in their uh, religion, religious fanaticism, partied around this calf idol that they'd made instead of trusting me. God wasn't pleased, but he let them do it their way and live with the consequences as described by the prophet Amos. Did you bring me offerings of animals and grains these 40 wilderness years, O Israel? Hardly. You were too busy building shrines to war gods, to sex goddesses, worshiping them with all your might. That's why I put you in exile in Babylon. Our ancestors had a tabernacle for worship. It was made just exactly as God told Moses. And then they, they had it during Joshua's time when God drove out the pagans out of the land. They still had the tabernacle for worship where they would come to know my presence. The tabernacle stayed in the land until the time of David. And David said, I want to build a house for God. But he wasn't allowed to. Solomon was, and Solomon built a temple, a dwelling place. However, Sanhedrin... The Most High God doesn't live in a building made by carpenters and by masons. As Isaiah the prophet said, heaven is my throne room. I rest my feet on earth. So what kind of house will you build me, says God? Where can I get away and relax? It's already built and I built it. Sanhedrin, you are all so bullheaded and stubborn. You close and cover your ears 
You cover your eyes so that you cannot see. You deliberately ignore the Holy Spirit of God. Didn't every prophet get the same treatment that you were giving? Your ancestors killed anyone, any prophet who dared talk about and prophesy the coming of the Messiah, the just one. And you have kept up the family tradition. You are all traitors and murderers. You had God's law handed to you by angels, but you rejected it. Now read with me verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. Some of you will have in your translation, they were cut to the heart. Actually, literally, it means cut uh, or to saw through. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, fourth time it says that about Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, which is a messianic title, according to Daniel chapter 7, standing at the right hand of God. What is different about the position of Jesus for what we read elsewhere in Scripture after his <coughs> death and resurrection? Well, this is only special. Jesus is always sitting at the right hand. He's always sitting at the right hand. And now he's standing at the right hand. I want to read one other passage of Scripture, the only other passage of Scripture where Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. It comes from Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read 12 verses, and then we'll be done for the day. I think that perhaps... This is the scene that Stephen sees right before they take him and stone him. In, in Revelation chapter 4, John starts seeing more and more about what's going to happen in the future. In chapter 5, he gets, they, they just sort of part the curtain and he gets to peek in and see what's going on in heaven. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Now watch it, that I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain. Where? Standing at the center of the throne. 
encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb at seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of, light, of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you imagine what Stephen was looking at. I believe that that's what your sister-in-law walked into this week. I come back to give you one verse of scriptures of possibility. Jesus said, Luke chapter 12, verse 8, Whosoever shall confess me before men him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. And I believe that Jesus stood, as Dan said, to welcome Stephen. Seated at the, at the right hand of God in the place of authority, but welcomes Stephen. He says, welcome. And he sees this picture of thousands of angels and shouting praises to God. At this, verse 57, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named who? Who later becomes Paul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Doesn't that sound like what our Savior said on the cross? Receive my spirit. Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. When he said this, he screamed in agony and pain and moaning and groaning and wishing that he had not ever gone this route. That's not what it said. <laughs> it says he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. And the worthy lamb now stands and says, come home, Stephen. You know, Tertullian, an early church theologian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what happened here, they thought, we'll end this, we'll squash this right now. And the next chapter, verse 1, it says, because of the persecution, 
it begins to spread. They go to Judea and Samaria and start telling everyone. And then in the next chapter, we see Paul get saved. And then he begins to take the, the, the message to the uttermost part of the earth. What a chapter. What a chapter. Yes, ma'am. I just read this week that 97.4% of Christians go to their grave without telling one person. Mm. That's hard to imagine. Perhaps if we get a better glimpse into what Stephen saw and what it's all about, maybe um, we'll increase that, decrease that percentage. Amen. Yes, sir. So Stephen was stoned, and Saul became Paul, and Paul take over where Stephen left. Yeah, in many ways he did. We're going, to, we're going to talk about that, so I'm not going to give away the story yet. <laughs> Peter has a big part in it. And then ultimately Paul, of course, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So, but we'll get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and your goodness to us in giving this testimony to us today. Thank you and bless your name for speaking to our heart and opening in our mind's eye. I believe this is what you did when my father died, that you got up and said, welcome home. When my brother preached on Sunday and went to be with you on Saturday, I believe this is what you did. I believe you just said, come on. I think of people who sit right here in this class who served you. I believe they received a grand welcome into what we saw today. Keep our eyes on eternity so that we might share what we look forward to with those around us. In Christ's name, amen.